Now our scripture reading today is from Romans 12, 3 through 8, and that is on page 948 in your pew Bible. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Holly. Well, good morning and welcome again to the Brookness of Christ Community. My name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just so good to see you. It's so good to be together, as we're going to see today as we go more into Romans 12 and this series, We Can Change. Um, Sparknotes version, I'm Taylor. This is Christ Community. It's good to see you all. Um, I'm going to pray for us before we enter a time of teaching, uh, so let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your goodness. We thank you that when we are gathered together here, your spirit is among us and working in our hearts and binding us together. God, I pray this morning as we, uh, as we look at, at your word through the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, that you would bind us together as, as one church, as one family, as one body of interconnected members who are all rooted in the same reality of your son's death and resurrection. God, I thank you for that work that that united us, that tore down the walls of hostility so that we could be one. God, would we live into that identity this morning? Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of his spirit. Amen. Well, this morning I am going to start how all good sermons start, and that's by talking about rats. Uh, and, and no, it's not because uh, we just bought a house and found a dead mouse in our basement. Uh, although, if you, want, if you have a heart for service and just want to be a part of our care ministry, uh, you could send my wife a letter. Uh, it would really uh, mean a lot to her because that freaked her out. Uh, but that's not why we're talking about rats. Uh, instead, it's because last week I listened to a really interesting TED Talk uh, with the title, Everything You Know About Addiction is Wrong. And now addiction is a part of my family's story, so I was particularly intrigued. Uh, but, but, and I'm not going to reiterate the entire premise of the talk, but there was one part that really stuck out to me from the talk. See, so the speaker cites two studies that were both done uh, on rats. And in the first study, one rat was placed alone in a cage with two uh, bottles of water. And one bottle of water was just uh, normal water. And the other bottle of water was water laced with drugs. And the rat was left alone in the cage, and every time the experiment was done, the rat would always drink the drug water and eventually overdose and die. So the idea was that the chemical dependency created by the drugs was enough to uh, cause the rat to drink it compulsively, and eventually it would kill it. But then there's the second study. And the second study 
a group of rats was placed together in a cage with a bunch of fun toys and other things that little boy and girl rats love to play with. And they were all in there together. And again, there was the water, water, and the heroin water. But what's fascinating is that they didn't end up with a bunch of dead, druggy rats. Like you would think, put more rats in the cage and you just have more dead rats on your hands, right? But that's not what happened. Instead, the rats almost never drank the drug water. And if they did, they did not drink it compulsively to where they became dependent and overdosed like the other rats in the first study did. So what does this tell us? The rats who were isolated became quickly addicted, but the rats who were connected to other rats had an easier time resisting addiction. And this point the speaker makes is, what if helping addicts wasn't about purely sobering them up as much as getting them connected to others? Now, we can debate the best practices for overcoming drug addiction, uh, but I think this study is a really great illustration about the power of relationships. About the power of relationships. See, God created each and every one of us as human beings with an innate drive and capacity to connect with others. So each and every one of us has a deep-seated and intrinsic need to bond with other people. And it turns out that, that those bonds we form with others end up shaping a lot of who we are and who we become. For example, when those bonds are strong and healthy, uh, we find ourselves better able to manage our emotions, uh, and, and those relationships propel us towards growth and wholeness in life, don't they? But when they're weak or insecure or non-existent, we often find ourselves with depleted levels of joy and an impoverished power to, to regulate our damaging behavioral patterns that we see in our lives. Because we are hardwired for connection. And what we see is that when this is missing, when we don't have that connection, so are key elements that are required for our own emotional and spiritual maturity. In other words, relational connection is essential for lasting transformation. It's essential for lasting transformation. Our strongest relational bonds have the largest influence on how our character is formed. To put it simply, we need others to change. And if you've been with us either here in person or, or online, uh, you know that we're three weeks into a five-week series in Romans 12 that we're calling We Can Change. And in the first week, Pastor Bill helped us see that, that we cannot change without being loved. That the desire that, that for connection that we were created for must first be made with God. That we experience his tender mercy and love, we are, we are deeply known by him, and that begins changing us before anything else. And last week, we looked a little bit more at how we change, and we saw that, that God uses every part of us to change us. He uses every part of us to change us, especially our bodies and our brains, our minds, which means that we can't just try harder or, or try to outthink our bodies and hope that change will happen. Instead, we, we need to cultivate habits and disciplines that, that help our entire and our bodies and brains get placed before God in worship. So that's where we've been. These next three weeks, we're really zoning in on, on where change happens. Where change happens, and that is in community. Throughout the pages of Scripture, the biblical writers make it clear that, that the church is integral to our transformation. That our faith must be worked out 
in the context of the people of God. Now, those of us who have been around the church a while have probably heard that, that community is important, right? It's, it's said quite a bit. But I would guess that for many of us, that simply means it's helpful for you to have a good social life. Like, like one thing you get, a good add-on bonus for, for your faith, for being a Christian, is that, that Jesus gives you a community to be a part of. But the picture of community that we get from the Apostle Paul here in Romans 12 goes far beyond that idea. In his view, our faith cannot be lived out apart from a community of Jesus followers. It just can't. Other believers are more than a nice addition to our faith. They are absolutely vital for our growth. So the idea that we're going to see today as we look at Romans 12 is this. That God's people need God's people to change. God's people need God's people to change. And to understand this, I want to look at two ways with the time that we have left uh, that Paul describes the people of God in Romans 12. He uses two images or or metaphors that, that help us understand why we cannot be transformed apart from Christian community. And before we do that, I'm just going to pull this off my ear. Great. Okay, perfect. Uh, The first way in Romans 12 that we see Paul envisioning the church is as a family. Is as a family. That God's people need God's people to change because in order to change, we need a family where we belong. We need a family where we belong. And Paul uses familiar language a few times in in Romans 12, like like in the first verse when he calls them, he appeals to them as as brothers, as his brothers and sisters. And then he moves on to to talk about the tender mercy of God, which which a couple weeks ago Pastor Bill taught us evokes the image of a, a mother and a child, so very deep, intimate, familial language. He also appeals to this reality in verse 10 when he calls the Romans to do this. He says, love one another with what kind of affection? brotherly affection. So the idea is, if we have experienced the mercy of Jesus, then we have been adopted into a new family. That's true of you, that's true of me. And in that new family, we love each other with the love, the unique love of a family. So in other words, we have received family kind of love from God, and we are to extend family kind of love to others. Now, the earliest bonds that we make as human beings are with our family, our primary caregivers. And those connections shape us more profoundly than any other connections that we have. And one way that that our family shapes us is by shaping our sense of belonging, right? We're supposed to have a place where we belong. God intended family uh, to be a place where we first experience what it means to have a place where you belong. And when you belong you feel secure. When you belong, you feel known by others. When you belong, you feel loved and cared for and and safe. And that's what God wants his church to be for, for all people. And I know this is true in my own life. When I first started taking my faith seriously, the single most powerful catalyst for my growth was the deep bonds that I formed with peers and leaders at, at youth groups and, and camps. And what I found there was a place where I belonged. It didn't matter who I I was, anywhere else I was. When I was there, I was safe, secure, I was known, I was loved. And that's what a family is supposed to be. 
And what happens then after a while when you feel like you have somewhere that you belong is that you try to be like those you belong to, right? Like I know this from, from high school. Every group that I was a part of, I acted a little bit differently because I wanted to be like that group where I felt like I belonged. So where we belong not only makes us feel secure and known and loved and cared for, but it also impacts our sense of identity. And Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Ephesians. Here's what he says. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. So the idea he he gives us here is that those who have received the love of Jesus are transferred from the identity of foreigner, which means outsider and not belonging, to the, the identity of family, where you are insider, belonging, you are a member of God's household. So friends, what we need to understand is that when we embrace the gospel, we are not only given a new identity as individual Christ followers, but we are given a new group identity as members of a new family. That is our new shared identity. You and I have it in common. We're part of the same family. We could say about the people in our church or the other Christians that we know, those are my people, and I'm with them. Now, Paul borrowed this family idea from Jesus. He didn't didn't think about it on his own. Jesus radically redefined family in the ancient world when he said things like this. He said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, Jesus says, those who do the will of my Father, you're part of my family. So what I want to do just now, just briefly for a moment, is just pause and to just sit here. And I want you to, to, to just close your eyes for a minute. If you're comfortable doing that, just close your eyes and sit and get in a place where your heart is at rest. And I want you to just hear Jesus saying this to you this morning. Whatever you came in here with, whatever has been going on this week or in your life, hear Jesus saying this to you. If you know me, you are a part of my family. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are safe. You are secure. You belong. Even when you feel like you're not wanted anywhere else, you are wanted here. Even when you feel like you don't belong to your family of origin on earth, you belong in my family. And because you're a part of my new family, I'm giving you a new identity. You are not only a new person, you are a new people. And you are mine, and I treasure you. You can go ahead and open your eyes. When we received the gift of Jesus speaking those words over us, God can transform us because we are secure in the love of our new family. We need each other to change because we need a family where we belong, and the church is supposed to be that family. So if that's true, What I want to encourage us to do is lean into that reality of being a family. That's our our mission statement, right, is to be a caring family of multiplying disciples. And one thing that a caring family does is that we remind each other who we are. We need a family where we belong, so let's remind each other who we are. 
Now, when I was a kid, I would travel all around uh, to random places in central Kansas to do sports or, or music or, or mission trips or different things like that. And every time I went different places, if I was around my grandpa before I left, he would say these words to me. He would say it every time. That's my grandpa. He's probably saying it to me there. That's how often he said it. He said, don't, he would say, do not forget where you came from. Anyone else have people say that to you? Don't forget where you came from. And even though I might have been annoyed by it or rolled my eyes a little bit at the time, I appreciate those words more than ever now. Because he wasn't just warning me against a random bout of amnesia, right? Like he wasn't saying, just don't forget. Uh, what was he doing? He, he, he was saying, remember who we are. Our family. What we value. What kind of people you are. And wherever you go, live out of that identity. Don't forget where you came from. So let's be that same kind of a family as a church. Let's remind each other who we are. That's one of the reasons we did the confession of the Apostles' Creed together earlier. Let's remind each other who we are. Science tells us that, that every sixth of a second, our relational brain is asking the question, who are my people and how do they act right now? Who are my people and how do they act right now? Which means we need each other to help each other act like our family acts and therefore change. And I need this because I have such an easy time forgetting when I'm alone. I don't know if anyone's the same way. Or when I'm hungry or when I'm tired uh, or, or when I'm, 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 I'm angry, frustrated. Hunger's probably the biggest one, let's be honest. Because sin wants to distort our sense of identity. And trauma that we've experienced through different harmful relationships wants to wound our sense of belonging. So, so if I'm going to be transformed, I'm talking about me right here, if I'm going to be transformed, I need all of you to remind me of who we are as God's family. To keep me in check with what's important, of what we value, of how we act, of how loved I am. We need a family where we belong. So, so let's remind each other who we are. Then Paul goes on uh, a little bit later to explain that, that every person who experiences God's mercy, they're not only adopted into a new family, uh, but they're also joined to a new body. That God's people need God's people to change because we need a body where we receive. We need a body where we receive. Look at what he says starting in verse 3. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what he's saying is that the church is intended to function like a body functions where each person is like a member or a different part of that body. Now, what does it mean to be connected to a body? Well, if you're a part of a body, the first thing it means is, is that you share responsibility for the health of that body. If one part is unhealthy, we share responsibility for the health of the body to, to stay intact, which means each member has to do its own part for the body to function properly. And Paul explains that that kind of shared responsibility for the church has to do with gifts. He continues and he says this. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
So he draws a connection here between the, the individual parts of a body that function in different ways and the gifts that every one of God's people in this place has been given. And he says that each person has been given different gifts for the purpose of using them in service of the body. Now, in other places like 1 Corinthians, he'll remind us not to get jealous uh, of the gifts that other people have been given. But his point here is to show that the way these gifts should be used and encourage us to use them. So if we are going to change as a body, as the body of Christ, as a local body of believers, let's give each other what we have. Let's give each other what we have. See, God's Spirit has given some of you in this room right now the gift of prophecy, of speaking a word that, that, that someone just needs or an insight that, that someone needs or an encouragement that, that someone needs and God has for another person. He's given some of you the, the gift of service. You just love giving yourself away in, in every way that you can. He's given others of you the gift of teaching, that you, you can explain complex ideas in, in simple and, and meaningful ways. He's made others of you abound in the ability to, to encourage people. He's blessed some of you with the, with the tenderness and firmness needed to correct others. Some of you have been given the financial means to contribute in significant ways. And the Spirit has anointed some of you in this room for different kinds of leadership, for guiding and giving direction to, to things that are happening in the church. And others have, have been given a massive capacity for mercy. And I've seen this in action, where you love and forgive others in ways that heal and restore them. Now, there are loads of other gifts that are listed in Scripture, not in this passage. And if you need help figuring out what your gifts are, uh, please contact a pastor or talk with a small group or, or a friend who knows you well and, and seek God in prayer for those things. But what Paul encouraged us to know is what God's Spirit is doing in us and then to use those gifts to help other members of our body find transformation and healing and renewal in life. We need to give each other the gifts that we have. But here's what that also means, and this is what I often miss, is that also means we need the humility to receive what other people have for us. We need to be able to receive other people's gifts. Because to be a part of a body means that we're not only responsible for one another, but we're also dependent on one another. Like if I am a foot, I need an eye to be functioning properly, and I depend on that eye. Otherwise, I'm going to like stub my toe or step on a Lego or something. That's how bodies work. We're dependent on one another. So to be members of one body means that we rely on each other to grow and flourish both individually and as a group. We rely on each other. And let me just ask you this. This is something that's been convicting me recently. But how often do you sit down across the table with someone for coffee or talk with someone on Sunday morning at church or show up to your community group or sit down at dinner with your family and think, this person across from me has God's spirit in them and they might have something for me that I desperately need. How often do you think that about the people that you're talking with at church? But Paul can't mean anything different, right? He says every one of us have been filled with God's Spirit, and we have gifts abounding for other people that they need. So we need to be able to receive those gifts. It's vital for us to receive those gifts that other people have. In order to be transformed, you need what the person sitting next to you, uh, or six, six feet from you, uh, you need what the person sitting six feet from you has to offer in this room this morning. That's what it means to be the part of the body of Jesus. 
So what might you need to do to put yourself in a position where you can receive what God's spirit wants to change in you through the gifts of others in our body? If you're like me, that can be hard. And I think one of the reasons that can be hard is that we, we, we can have a hard time receiving what other people have. Because we have a fear of vulnerability, don't we? We want to look and appear like, like we can do it on our own. We're afraid to appear like we're in need. But friends, hear me, hear us as a church saying to you that it is okay and even good to be in need. So don't let that keep you from what God wants to do in you. In order to change, we need a family where we belong, and we need a body where we receive and give what we have. And our need for these things, they might be greater uh, than we even realize. Sociologists have recently observed that even though we live in, in the most virtually connected society ever, we are also one of the loneliest. That isolation has overtaken deep companionship in our lives. Individualism has deceived us into thinking that we don't really need others to have a good life. But all the while, even though health, self-help books are, are skyrocketing, anxiety is increasing as well. Even though science is progressing, American life expectancy is slowly declining. Even though we have never been more connected, we have never felt more alone. Which means that relational love in a spirit-filled faith community is not something that would just be nice to have. It's something that we gravely need. God's people need God's people to change. So what I want to invite us to do as, as we close this morning is this. To trade your isolation for devotion. Trade your isolation for devotion. Instead of trying to, to change on your own, devote yourself to this family and this body. In, in Acts chapter 2, the, the gospel writer Luke gives us a picture of the early church. And what he tells us about is that the early church wasn't just friendly with one another. They, they devoted themselves to one another. That's the language he uses. And when they devoted themselves to one another, the spirit moved and people were saved and lives were transformed. That's what the church should look like. Now, I've spent, many of you know, most of my life involved, heavily involved with a camp ministry called uh, Northern Pines up in Wisconsin. That was first as a camper uh, and then as a counselor. And, and the last few years, my wife and I have directed the senior high program. And two years ago, I saw the best example of this kind of family and body that I have ever seen. And it all started with students. See, on Tuesday night, we had just finished some, some musical worship. And, and I could tell, I could sense that, that something was going on in the room, that God was doing something. And, and so for some reason, I don't know why, I abandoned the message that I was going to give. We were supposed to have a talk right after that. And I just put it aside, and we sat down in a circle. And we just sat there for a little bit. And after a while, as we were sitting there, kind of in silence, one young girl spoke up. And she shared something incredibly hard that was going on in her life. Incredibly hard. And tears were shared around the circle. It was heavy. There was a pause. And then a guy from across the circle spoke up and started praying. And he started praying for her and what she was going through. And then slowly after he was done praying, one by one around the circle, students started speaking words of life over that girl. And speaking words of truth over that girl. And encouraging that girl. And that same thing went on for three hours. Unprompted. Students sharing incredibly difficult things they're going through. And praying for each other. And speaking life over each other. 
We wept with each other. We laughed with each other. We prayed for each other. We encouraged each other. And it was just the most beautiful picture of community that I have ever seen. And what happened from that moment on is that these 40 people, these 40 students literally became like a family. This is a picture of them. Uh, They literally started calling me dad. That's how family it got in that place. But it was so clear that every single person belonged. No one thought too highly of themselves. Eyes lit up when any other person walked into the room. The most alone back home was the most adored at camp. And we continued throughout that week celebrating and mourning and encouraging one another. We worshiped together, supported each other, cared for each other. We received from each other's gifts. We worked through hard things together. Students received visions. Students were baptized. Students were saved. And we were changed, fundamentally renovated, not just individually, but as a people. And it was all because students rose up, bonding to one another in love and devoting themselves to one another's good. So devote yourself to a group, to a community group, to serving in a ministry, to a Bible study, to getting more involved in the local church, to meeting with people that you've seen on Sunday mornings and always said, we should get coffee sometime, but you've never gotten coffee sometime. Devote yourself to showing up places, to being known to loving well, to bearing one another's burdens, to reminding each other of who we are. Devote yourselves to giving what God has given you, to receiving what God has given someone else, to sharing what you need and and seeking God for those things together. In the next couple weeks, Pastor Bill is going to help us see more ways that we can do this. But this morning, just ask yourself, how can you devote yourself more fully to this family and this body? Because, friends, change needs a we, not just a me. We can't lock ourselves up in our own rat cage and and just say to ourselves, fix your problems, get it together, you idiot. We can't do that. We weren't designed to change on our own. We were made to need a family where we belong. We were made to need a body where we receive. And God gave us his church so that we can share together in the joy and the beauty of the redemption that Jesus is bringing in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this family, both gathered here this morning and online. And God, I, help you, I, I pray that you would help us right now to, to figure out how we can devote ourselves to your family more deeply, to being that person who, who creates a sense of belonging, who gives from our gifts. Give us the humility to receive what you want to do in our lives through other people. God, I pray that this morning would be a catalytic moment where your spirit moves in our hearts and in this community and that we would deepen relationships that help us be transformed both individually and as a church. And that that would be the biggest catalyst for the renewal that you want to bring in this city. God, would you do that this morning and throughout the course of these next few weeks as we commit ourselves to each other in the name of Jesus and by the power of his spirit. Amen.